when we were asking the question, can someone become humble or become hungry? Like, can they increase that aspect of themselves? And I think it's yes. I think in part it it can be behavioral. If we're aware of it, if you need improvement in that area, then I think that that can be eye-opening. And that usually is a sign of an ideal team player that they want to keep increasing those aspects of themselves for the good of the team. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly Nolan and we're back with another book club episode today with a small group of our NCG team members to talk about Patrick Lanzioni's The Ideal Team Player, how to recognize and cultivate the three essential virtues. The book club here at NCG is a commitment to continuous learning, application, and connection of all the work that we do with our clients and continue to help foster an environment of success within our own organization. From love and work, coaching through breaks through success, think again, winning on purpose, radical candor, and more, we always end up engaging in lively discussions with solid takeaways that we recognize not only in our individual way of operating, but how we can approach our roles and responsibilities with new perspective. The ideal team player is no different. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Hourglass. Today we have a book club discussion, and I am uh, happy to be joined by three of my NCG colleagues. Uh, We keep these book club club discussions, we've started to keep them a little bit smaller in the last couple months. We've decided that it might be a little bit better for discussion, hear some voices. So if you're a familiar listener to our podcast, you know that uh, we love books, we love reading, we love discussing. Today is no different. So I'm going to welcome Andrew Amrine, Maureen Richard, and Deidre Ellis to the book club discussion today. How are you guys? Good. Thanks, Molly. Good. Doing good. good. One of my favorite places to be. In front of the mic. The Molly Nolan, well, that too. The, <laughs> the Molly Nolan podcast. It's not the Molly Nolan podcast. I hate that. It's this is the out of the hourglass <laughs> podcast. This is a shared voice uh, platform. <laughs> um, no, I love I love what I do, but this is a shared voice platform for sure. So today we're going to talk about uh, the ideal team player by Patrick Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni is not a uh, strange name in in our in our company. This is you know a. Uh, author and a leader who we've talked about greatly in other, you know, book club discussions and, you know, in our coaching. He also is the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which should be familiar to many, many listeners as well as our clients. Um, He's also the founder of The Table Group, which is a a consulting firm that focuses on organizational health. They've got a great podcast. So we are all, you know, we, we love what Patrick Lencioni is putting out there and his team as well. But today we're going to focus on the ideal team player. And it was funny, Andrew, you said, were we, were the the few of us selected for this particular book club because we need to learn something? And let it, let me be clear. I did not pick you all. Catherine picked the four of us to discuss this. Well, now I, now I know it's true. We're we're picking you guys because, hey, listen, we're just going to send you a message. Yeah, little passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She typical high eye. 
Yes. Um, no, uh, <laughs> other folks on the team are going to be doing another book uh, discussion in a couple of weeks on who, not how. Um, so we're just, uh, we're just, we're playing around where we're poking at Catherine. Um, we can do that because we love her and we have um, a good culture here. I'm, a, I'm anticipating her knocking on my, she's going to listen to this podcast and come knock on my door. Andrew, <laughs> can I see you? Uh, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> Um, no, but in, in reality, this is, it was a, it's a great read. Um, I will say I, for the first half of it, I was like, when are we getting to the lesson here? Cause it starts off as a fable. It's, it's just, it tells us a story, um, which kind of sets the tone for seeing it in practice. And then we dive into actually the meat of what the ideal player is about, um, so Andrew, I'm going to kick it off to you first. Tell me a little bit about what um, the fable is about in terms of the story, the interactions of the team, and is this applicable to real life scenarios? Sure. So, uh, I mean, the basic plot, um, there's an old man, he's in a boat and there's a fish and they're pulling out into the ocean. I think- Wait, you're, did you're I read wrong, the wrong book? Wrong book. <laughs> uh, wrong book. Uh, Shucks. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so, so we're in a construction company and uh, there's a transition going on. The owner is reaching a point where there needs to be a transition, uh, brings in uh, a very talented uh, re relative nephew. Um, however, things get derailed quickly when some health issues um, pop up. And so the transition needs to happen um, much faster, like the next day as opposed to the next year. And so they're thrown into um, this uh, problem. So we're, we're drawn into this issue that they're facing. Um, and it, I, I guess I, I was reading it too. It, it was the, the beginning was a little drawn out, but there was a lot of setup that needed to be made. So I, I felt like yeah. by the end, it was kind of meaningful. Um, and so they, they go through all of the personnel sort of gyrations that would happen in that scenario. Um, and I won't give away the story, uh, too much yet. Um, but they figure out how they're going to do these two big contracts. Oh, by the way, we, we landed these two big contracts, a, a hospital and a hotel, I think it was, and I'm leaving tomorrow. Good luck. Mm -hmm. And so they need to figure out. And, and so one of the things they decide is that if we're going to get this done, we need to be a fantastic team. We're going to have to do it as a team. and um, you can imagine there were, if this were a real life scenario, there'd be thousands of things going on. And so this, the fable focuses on this, this one sort of thread around building the team. Yeah. And it fits us to, you know, into our world because we, you know, work with our clients on building high performing teams and a high performing team is made up of team players, right? And, you know, everybody pulling their weight in, 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 in some way, but what does a team player, who, who is a team player? What do they actually mm -hmm. look like? What, what are their characteristics? And so through this story, they are discussing how to identify what a team player is so that they can look at regrouping, building their team, mm -hmm. maybe weeding out those folks who don't necessarily belong. So it's interesting because, you know, we then kind of work through those steps of how they they identify these characteristics, they're addressing different people, uh, but it's not always easy to know, you know, off the bat who is a team player or not. Um, so we'll dive into that, you know, a little bit further in the discussion, but let's move into what are those virtues as they call them 
Yeah. Real, real quick. Sorry. One, one, one interjection. My, my first sure. Molly gave me three interjections that I can use. This is my first one. Oh, did that? Um, did I say that? <laughs> no, there are no interjections. Proceed. Proceed. Um, <laughs> the, um, the question about the management team. So the setup with the management team, I think one, one kind of obvious question, like, is this realistic um, for a management team? Uh, and I would say before working with Brian, I would have said, no, this is not realistic. Um, however, uh, now having working with worked with Brian and Catherine and the three of us, four of us with Colin, um, we added Colin to the management team that, uh, yeah, it is. I, I think at points it's a, it's maybe a, a little more of a goal than a reality, but I, I think 99% of it is, is what we're shooting for the kinds of conversations and we're, we're trying to be honest with each other. It's not comfortable. You figure it out and try to be honest with each other. But I, I would say the context of the book um, is realistic. And it, it's definitely the type of relationship that the management team has in this book uh, is worth shooting for. I would say it starts with the leader. Mm -hmm. If if Setting the tone. If you've got some some space between where you are and what this book is displaying, then that's the work of the leader to get it there. And I think it's, it's important to note, it's like any lens or perspective or concept that we are trying to apply. I mean, not everything that we're going to do is perfect, but we are always working towards this structure and, you know, what are the guidelines of how we operate are along this structure? Uh, you know, sometimes we go off track. It happens. We're humans. Um, but to know kind of what you're shooting for, I think, is important. So um, let's go back to the prior interjection question um, that I was going to ask Maureen. Um, Maureen, what are the three virtues of a, the team player that they identify in this book? So I'm going to list them and then I'd like to uh, define them for you, Molly. Please. The, uh, the three are humble, hungry, and smart. And those are the three components of an ideal team play player. Uh, humble is basically humility. So it's largely what it seems to be. Uh, it's lack of excessive ego or concerns about status. A humble person um, is... Uh, quick to point out the contributions of others and slow to take credit. And also they emphasize team over themselves. For um, someone who is humble, there's a little bit to um, kind of be aware of in that sometimes someone who just lacks self-confidence can appear to be humble but they, um, discounting your own talents and contributions is not necessarily being humble. Uh, sometimes it's more of a lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. Truly humble people do oh. not see themselves as greater or less, um, but they're thinking less of themselves and more of others. Um, the second virtue is hungry. Hungry people are always looking for more, more things to learn, more things to do, more responsibility to take on. They are self-motivated and diligent. And then the third virtue is smart. And in this context, uh, smart is not about intellectual capacity. It is about a person's common sense about other people. 
-hmm. It has everything to do with interpersonal communication and interpersonal appropriateness and awareness. Uh, People who are smart in this context ask good questions. They listen to others and they engage in conversations uh, intently and purposefully. I think it's important to um, point out that these three virtues um, just independently are not necessarily novel. Um, However, the combination of the three or the required combination of the three are uh, what are unique in uh, in this book. Yeah, I... Thanks for, for, for diving into those. I think that they, you know, the more that I've talked about them or thought about them, they seem to make sense to me, but I think my most favorite one of them that was identified was the smart component, the people smart, the, the emotional intelligence, knowing how to read the room and, you know, act upon that. Um, now, and I'll ask anybody to jump in here. Are these virtues instinctual? Like, are they a part of our DNA or are these things Mm. that we can develop in ourselves over time, or we can develop in others that have, that we see that have potential? If, yeah, if I might, I think, um, and, and actually I had this question after I read this, which is, um, you know, in certain jobs, somebody might be, you know, uh, smart and might be, uh, hungry, but they might not be humble. And I wonder if it's translatable, like maybe in a different environment, could someone show all of these, like demonstrate all of these? Mm. Um, And I'm kind of curious about that. But I do think that, you know, if, if someone, you know, at least has some capacity for any one of these, then they can develop it. Yeah, I completely so. agree with that. I think I think he he sort of touches on that and sort of the the relativeness that each of these is is relative and so be careful. I mean, Brian and Catherine are, are super high eyes. I'm not the the mm-hmm. people smart one is not my strength. Uh, it's a learned skill for me. Um but it, so so be careful not to be relative say someone's low at something just because someone else is high, but given a different career like in different you know, you can imagine lawyers their need for each of those three mm-hmm. is a little different, you know, mm-hmm. than maybe an engineer or a consultant needs to have a, a maybe a different combination. I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Dee. I, I think that's part of what makes the red thread and, and the fit in a role why some people are better accountants, not sales reps. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like the fact that it just, it kind of basically took what most people think of as their gut, you know, and knowing whether someone fits or not, um, and distills that into actually, you know, the three virtues or, or aspects of, you know, someone, uh, an individual as part of a team. So I, you know, I, I think that, you know, in the fable, the business owner led by gut, everything Mm -hmm. was by gut. And so they were like, well, why are some of these people great? And some of these people aren't quite as great, you know, as part of the team, like what's the, the defining fact, what are the defining factors? So Maureen, Maureen, you were going to say something. Yeah. So I was just going to add that um, the question about whether it's instinctual or can it be developed? 
I think each of these um, are, of course, instinctual. You know, naturally, we all fall on a continuum in each of these areas. Um, right. And and yes, they can also be developed. So there's kind of an awareness around where you as an individual are in each of these areas and or each of these virtues and, you know, what can you do to develop your, um, you know, the virtue one way or the other, depending on, you know, where you fall. That actually leads us really nicely into you know, looking at the ideal team player model. Um, and, you know, you can look this up online or you can find it in the book, but it kind of shows in a, in a Venn diagram, a, a three circle Venn diagram of each of the three virtues and where they intersect with each other. Um, the, the, you know, the ideal team player being in the center where all three circles interact, but then you have, you know, as you get further out closer to each virtue on its own, you have different personalities and different profiles, which, you know, as Dee and Andrew, you were just identifying, some of those might work well in other scenarios or might need to be turned on in in certain situations, depending upon what environment you're in. Uh, But Dee, I'd love for you to kind of explain, you know, maybe identify what are a couple of those intersections and what are they called? And because I think they're, if, as you say them, we're going to be like, oh yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. The, um, I, I loved that they def- like, they basically gave a name to each and what, um, when someone only seems to hold one of the virtues, it's really easy to identify. So, um, if someone is just humble, but not hungry or smart, um, they call that the pawn. So that's the person that kind of doesn't offend anyone, is really nice, um, but stays in the background. And the team tends not to include them in conversations, and um, they tend to not be super effective as part of the team. Um, Whereas uh, the hungry, that they call that the bulldozer, if they're just hungry, but they're not humble and they're not smart, they're just steamrolling everyone. So, um, you know, and they identify that as being like the true team wrecker, like that'll Mm -hmm. wreck a team faster than anything else. You know, so you can imagine um, even Andrew, as you said, a business owner who sets the tone as part of the team, if it's my way through the highway, as a business owner, that's a bulldozer. They're not seeing you know, yeah, I've what's seen, going I've seen on so with many, the, rest of the dynamics. I've seen so many field supervisors, new new field yeah. supervisors, or, or I should say individuals begin working at a company in the field supervisor role. And they're all they are is hungry and they bulldoze and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and, exactly. and it's all about them. Yeah. All yeah about it's them. all about them proving themselves and I'm, I'm in charge and I'm going to run the place. And yeah, it doesn't, it's doesn't work. And um, finally, the, um, the singular, and I think this is probably could be the most damaging is if someone is just smart and nothing else. If someone is smart, but not humble and not hungry, they are definitely not part of the team, but they're called the charmer. Mm -hmm. So everyone thinks that they are a team player. Um, it's really easy for them to, um, uh, bring people to their sides, but they may not necessarily be producing for the team at all. And they tend to, unlike the bulldozer that you feel it almost immediately, 
um, or the pond where you know you can in certain environments just ride along. Um, a charmer will probably do some damage without anybody really knowing it and ride a lot longer on the team um, just because they they have that beautiful high eye and get along with everyone, but they're not they're not part of the team. They're not helping the team to develop. They're not. Um, they're not necessarily engaged in the goals of the team. It's a sneaky type of damage. You don't, it's like, you don't know it's happening until it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, they're so nice. How can, how could, how could we let the person go? They're so, so nice. Right. I mean, I, come on, I can't, oh, that it, it hurts till sometimes. Yeah. But um, so, but they have their own agenda that no one necessarily realizes so, um, and then you dive a little deeper where this, this is where like I had my um, aha moment, if you will, when someone is very strong in two of the three, but is missing one. Yeah, and that's, too. that's the hard part to identify. And that's where, you know, I love that they're defining it. And so it's your, you know, they're, they're actually giving definition to what your gut feeling is of what's going on. So, um, you know, if someone is, uh, humble and hungry, um, but they're not smart, um, they call that the accidental mess maker. Like you want to be careful about calling people names, but, Mm -hmm. um, but that's the person that, you know, could accidentally steamroll. They care about the goals of the team. They honor, you know, the contributions of other people, but emotionally they're not engaging with the reaction that they're getting from people. Um, and so, uh, so that can cause a little bit of problems. So it's that emotional, emotional intelligence, maybe, or just, you know, savvy about people and, you know, and watching out for what's going on with the dynamics. Um, somebody can be humble and smart, but not necessarily hungry. So, you know, and I worked in a bookstore. I, you know, we had a lot of, we, and wonderful people, but they just were not necessarily interested in engaging on moving the ball ahead for Mm -hmm. every, you know, and it wasn't that they weren't necessarily a part of the team or the team didn't, they weren't, um, they didn't uh, contribute, but they weren't necessarily trying to, um, raise the bar. Would we, you would will. we say they, they didn't have the gimp like Connell likes to call it <laughs> the gimp. So I still can't translate it, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, so that one, I, uh, I think it's so funny that you brought up the bookstore with hungry, yeah. humble, with humble and smart. I, that's so true. Yeah. Somebody, I, I you, was, you have I was stories and Catherine has to read stories. a whole book on the sales floor because I was always shelving or doing something else because that's me you know, um, but there were other people that like, <laughs> you know, at least two books a week, they would have read in between helping customers. It's like, I'm so jealous, but mm-hmm. I just not in me. <laughs> so they're called the lovable slacker. So it's a fitting name. It's a it's very a, fitting name. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I'm sure we all know them. I'm sure we even know people that we haven't worked with that we love in our lives, but we know what they're like, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, they're just not hungry. And this is where like that kind of person I say, is it the environment? And if they found another place where they 
were truly engaged, right. would that not change? Would the, the hungry gene or aspect not turn on for them? Um, and then finally, there's the, um, uh, the hungry and smart, but not humble. And again, that's, that's the one that gets interesting because that person really wants to advance, but it is really all about them. And they're not thinking about the fact that what they're doing is built on the things that other people do. They might even not necessarily honor someone else's contributions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people might get missed in the background, even though they may have, you know, been an essential part of whatever drove that particular goal or initiative. So um, I, it, it's really funny, like reading this, I start to think about, you know, in my past in the bookstore and, you know, in the call center and, you know, uh, and in this group and, and seeing how when one of those pieces is missing, that was the feeling that you had, yep. you know, that was the instinct that you had that, you know, mm-hmm. now it feels that, tangible to be able yeah, to get, like it really exactly. get it all clicks a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. So I, I really thought that that was so insightful and I love the Venn diagram. Super it's a helpful. good, it's definitely a good takeaway. You know, when I said at the beginning of the, of the discussion, it, the book kind of starts off, you know, a little bit slow because we have to set the context. It's a story. And then you kind of get into the meat of the content. Like, you know, there are definitely some good takeaways from this book, this Venn diagram being one of them and being able to define what those uh, different personas are. Um, you know, I'd love to know, you know, Maureen, what are some takeaways for you? you I mean, we are all on a team in an organization. We've all been on other teams. So we are all team players in a sense. You also are a coach. So you, you, um, you coach a team. So you're very much in this world. What are some takeaways from this book for you? So I think just to add to what, um, Dee was saying, first off, um, having players or, or team members who are humble because they're willing to kind of look at themselves and, and see, you know, realistically, oh, I can improve in this area or I'm lacking in one area. I think um, that's really key. And then having people that are, you know, hungry, they're going to be willing or wanting to grow. So if if you have at least a little bit of those two um, virtues, the smart, you know, is is the one I feel like that can be a little bit more learned if it is not something or a virtue that someone has or brings to the table um, necessarily. So, um, so as I look at the big picture of all three of those, you know, having at least a little bit of the, those two humble and hungry, you can get there with a third. So um, the takeaways for me were um, the applications, first of all, the, the language around it um, and setting those expectations. So if our culture is embracing these virtues um, or, or we're trying to build that kind of a culture, then we need to be talking about it. We need to be using this language. We need to be clearly mm-hmm. defining what it means to be humble um, and that um, making sure everyone has an awareness of how we define these three terms. 
So setting those expectations, talking about what those behaviors look like um, is, is first and foremost. And then um, the reminders of when we are not seeing those behaviors or we are seeing the behaviors that are not part of that virtue um, that we are calling them out. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean publicly calling them out, but um, you know, bringing them to someone's attention. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, for me personally, that's a challenge uh, as a coach is, you know, confronting and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm seeing this behavior that is not, you know, is not reflective of our values or of our virtues," and you know, and, and really calling that out. Um, is sometimes a, a hard to do. I'm a high I. And so for me to be confrontational and to be to challenge someone is is always, you know, not necessarily a comfortable spot for me. So um, so that was a good takeaway, that reminder that, you know, that um that job of of or that duty of actually bringing it to someone's attention and addressing it is really important for their growth. Yeah. I mean, um, I can, I can absolutely relate with that. You know, the, un- the confrontation component of this, and when you do need yeah. to call it out, it's not, it's not comfortable for a lot of yeah. us. Um, yeah. for some, for some, it's very natural. Those high D's, they got no problem with it. Um, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a skill, but for some of us, it's, it's not Deidre. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, um, I was thinking about this in conjunction with disc, um, and the language that we use so often. And the fact that when, um, when we were asking the question, can someone become humble or become hungry? Like, can they, can they increase, you know, that, uh, aspect of themselves? And I think it's, yes, I think in part it, it can be behavioral in the same way that we can adapt our different aspects, different behaviors in our disc. If we're aware of it, you know, if we're aware that we might not be, you know, as people smart, um, and going into a situation, we might take some steps to make sure that we are actively listening to make sure that, you know, when you say something, you give it a beat so that you see what the reaction is, you know, verbal or nonverbal. And, and so, you know, kind of being aware of that, if you need improvement in that area, then um, I think that that can be uh, eye-opening, you know, and that usually is a sign of an ideal team player that they want to keep increasing those aspects of themselves for the good of the team. Absolutely. That they, you know, they, they want to be better. They want to improve. They want to develop. Yeah. That, that's someone, if you, if you see, you know, sparks of that, that's someone who you hold on to and you invest time in, in helping to develop them. D, you, you just know. made a connection for me. I, I was thinking this more in terms of, of the hiring process, so hiring talent and mm-hmm. levels of work stuff. But but that connection to the disc and being able to show someone, you know, based on your profile, you're gonna you have a risk of being here in on this chart. Uh, I, I I mean I'm to the point where I, it's like required reading for any new employee, and then. And then this connecting it to the disc and being able to show them where they might fall and where their risks are is a uh, big takeaway for me. 
Don't we love how it, how it always comes full circle in terms of the, uh-huh. the, the different systems and tools that we work with? I mean, how they all interact in so many ways. And we like, we go into this mm-hmm. conversation, not necessarily even men- considering mentioning the disc profile, but it just naturally finds itself a part of the conversation. It's, um, it's one of my ways of judging all the books we read that does this, does this plug and play into things that we do? And if it doesn't, then it's probably not a value business book. And so it, I think it connects to Matthew Kelly, that mm-hmm. if, if someone is lacking in a particular humble, hungry, smart, that they can learn it if they're committed, coachable, and aware. And they can, they can grow. So it it connects and then it connects to situational leadership because where are they? Are they D1, D2, D3, D4 at these things? I mean, it it integrates really, really well. So we've talked about, you know, identifying employees who, you know, where, what virtues they might need to develop and, you know, needing to have those conversations and being able to nurture those. And there's different, you know, there's a skills assessment within the book that, um, you, you can kind of go through from a, either from a manager perspective, but also you can, you know, self-score yourself and to kind of relate it back to the hiring component. I mean, when I think about our team members, I would, I would rate that we would all score pretty high as ideal team players. And that's because, I mean, I say that about all of you having worked with all of you for quite some time. Um, I'd hope you'd say that about me, but I'm not going to assume. <laughs> but in reality, we are a small team. Who all of us wear a lot of hats at different times of the day who all step up to, step up to the plate when the time is needed, who would, you know, it, there's, there's we're, I, I would call us a high-performing team. And because of that, there we have some solid team player, you know, characteristics as a, as a part of that. Now, is that a coincidence or is this something that we have hired for? Have we cons- have we looked for this as a part of our hiring process? And Andrew, I'll kind of pass this over to you to kind of dive into a little bit deeper. I mean, going into your love of hiring talent and levels of work, you're big into the interview questions and how we look at candidates. So is this a coincidence that we we feel like our team is, is a high-performing team or did we create this? I think we can, we are definitely a high-performing team. Um, I think a lot of people have come and gone since I, since I got hired back in 2005. And I, I think what Brian has done, I think maybe unconsciously, um, is be aware of humble. I think his corporate background, I, I had to think about this when you posed this question, when we were planning this, I had to think about it. And I think his corporate background made him very aware of what not humble is because we've, we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think he was really good and we are good at identifying humble, maybe without knowing it. So we've hired humble people. That first sort of piece. Um, we've definitely hired just humble, not hungry. Um, there, some of those people aren't here. Um, I think we've been very lucky that we've. I don't think we've ever hired a skillful politician, hungry, hungry and smart, but not humble. We we haven't. We've been really blessed that way. Um, if you look up definition B of um, what's it called? The accidental mess maker. I mean, definition A is what he had in the book. Definition B is Andrew Amrine. I mean, I, like, I wouldn't be here without that social training. It's just not my skill. Um, so that committed, coachable and aware, you know, being aware that people 
may not be aware how much I love them because I'm so focused on tasks and it's, I, it's emotional for me. I worry about it. I worry that people don't know how much I love them in my, in my personal life as well at work. You guys, I love all of you deeply. I don't always show it. So I've got to be careful. Um, <laughs> I've got, I, I can be very task oriented. Um, so I, I think what we've, what we did well, I, and I think from Brian's experience was hire humble and, uh, we've, we've all done the rest, um, being driven, the driven people are still here, the smart people, or such as myself, the people who are humble enough to know they're not people smart <laughs> are still here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm, I'm being self-deprecating. I'm, I'm okay at it. I'm not as good as Molly. You're being humble. Trying to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, being humble about an area that you're trying to work on. But I think that's a key doesn't Humble is the part. hardest thing to fix. I, it seems yeah. to me that my conjecture, yeah. this is my my own conjecture, would that be that humble would be the hardest thing to fix. Um, yeah. How do you teach humility? It's a tough one. Um, so it can I, be done. I think, yeah, I, I think people can definitely learn. I think because I have, I think other people can. Um, and now I think interviewing for it, this definitely fits in the levels of work, the, the four absolutes that Tom Foster talks about, capability is, is the first. Are they, are they big enough for the role? But then the second, the second reason people fail um, is, is uh, required behaviors and temperament. And the book, the, the, these three things, hungry, humble, smart, get to the required behaviors on a team. Skill is actually the last reason people don't work. Um, and I, so I think being more intentional about this, it gets me excited. It totally. And there are some good, I mean, there are some interview questions within the book that, um, they kind of call out that you can ask that can kind of give you some indication of where someone might fall within these different virtues. So there are definitely, I mean, those are some immediate takeaways that you could implement into your interviewing process. I've, I finished reading the book, actually wanting to know, I wanted to give everybody I wanted all of us to do 360 that that profile on all of us to know where we stand. I found myself leaving, ending the book, wanting to know because it it was such a um, intuitive way to have a conversation. And I think if you can create an environment in your company where you have a language like SL2 is is a language, if you can have a language around required behaviors and culture, which this is. Uh, it makes having the conversation easier um, in, in pulling someone aside and saying, hey, can I talk to you for a second? So, hey, can we, can we look at the three values? You know, I, in, in this particular situation, I think you were being more of an accidental mess maker than you may have realized. Were you, were you aware of that? So committed, coachable, aware, just make people aware. And so mm -hmm. this is a, an objective way to talk about someone's behaviors without letting it reflect on them as a person. I think it's important that prior to doing that, you've established trust within your team of who you're doing that with, because that's an activity that people could certainly take personally and it could go awry real quick. Um, so before you mm -hmm. jump into any of these type of you know discussions, make sure that you have fostered an environment where uh, that that is a conversation that um, that everybody knows is for, for the right reason and what the intentions are behind it. 
Um, I want to kind of cut yeah. oh, D before I jump to the end, go for well, it. Well, I, I was going to say, they even mentioned it in the book, like be really careful about naming someone as an accidental mess maker or, um, or uh, a politician, because um, it's, it's not that they might be completely devoid of, you know, the right, like of all three, it just may, or of one of the three, it may just be that it could be a moment in time where they're not showing that, you know, as a natural, in a natural state. Um, so, you know, the, the naming of it can be, you know, damaging. A little dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Levels of work talks about that. <laughs> SL2 talks about that, that you, you don't label someone a D1, they're D1 at something or Someone's mm-hmm. not a level one or level two person. They're in a level two role. They're not. And so these things like a, a person's behaviors at a specific moment exhibited this, these characteristics. Um, great connection to five dysfunctions there, Maul, with the tr- building the trust. If you, if you can't have these conversations, then leadership's got a lot of work to do to build, to step back and build massive trust in the team. Um, which is to say, well, we can't have these. These aren't the kind of conversations we could have. That's not our culture. You know, we'll pick something else. Um, no, that's not the right answer. The right answer is we aren't able to have these conversations right now. So we got work to do. We need to get our company to the place where we can have these conversations. That's that's the hard work. Massively rewarding. Yeah. I mean, lack of trust is the is the foundation of the, the five dysfunctions of a team. It's the largest component. And I kind of want to end here because it, it relates back to Lencioni's other book and it relates back to other things that we've talked about. I mean, these virtues fit in. There's just there's a direct correlation. Um, and Dee, do you have you have some thoughts about this? So I I really felt like the um the virtues of hungry, uh, humble and smart really fit foundationally into the five dysfunctions of a team. The, the, fi- the dysfunctions or functions of a team that um, Patrick Lencioni describes are uh, one, there's the foundation of trust. The dysfunction is the absence of trust. Uh, the next up is uh, number two, fear of conflict. Conflict is important, you know, as part of um, a healthy organization. Um, Commitment or lack thereof is the dysfunction. Um, and, you know, you need people to be committed to the mission, the goals, the company itself. You need that buy-in. Um, uh, accountability or avoidance of accountability is a dysfunction. So knowing that there are expectations, um, whether they are KPIs, goals, or just um, tasks to be done that we're holding ourselves and each other accountable is a key uh, component of uh, a functioning, a healthy functioning team. And then uh, finally, number five for Patrick Lencioni is uh, the inattention to results. So like basically watching, you know, focusing on uh, the successes, the goals and, and hitting those. So, uh, knowing that, uh, we're celebrating the wins is a huge, um, and I, I say that because I tend to check a box and move on as opposed mm-hmm. to celebrating a win. So, you know, that's a huge function of a team, especially, but 
you know, this is the difference is that, you know, the humble, hungry, smart is the individual. The team functions of trust, uh, conflict, commitment, accountability, and results, that's a team function. So when we're looking at it, kind of throwing back to our um, original thought of, you know, would someone in a different organization with, you know, maybe in this organization, less humility or um, being less humble means that you probably don't fit as well. But say in an organization that's focused completely on sales, how, how high does that humble need to be, right. you know, to thrive in that organization? There may be, the threshold might be a little lower. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, so, you know, really it's, you know, there are team dynamics, but no team is alike. No organization is alike. They are all unique and these are broad enough categories that they fit, you know, for a healthy team, um, a healthy team or, uh, an ideal team player. Like they're broad enough that, you know, and it's up to the organization to really define that, whether defining it in certain behaviors or in certain goals. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on, D. I think understanding the parameters of your organization and what needs, what those virtues need to be for your team to succeed is the first step here, you know, and then what, you know, how much of each virtue is really um a necessity and how are you identifying that? And then how are you developing people? How are you hiring for that? Um, I think we got to leave it there. It's a perfect, perfect note to end it on. Anything else to add, Andrew, Marie and Dee, before I call it a, call it a complete? I, I love you all. Great way to spend a Friday, <laughs> a Friday morning. Good stuff. Well, well, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this conversation. I actually think I enjoyed the discussion more than I did just reading the book on my own. Um, I think when you pull different perspectives and you just can talk about it and relate to it, you know, with other with others, it just it, go, it goes further than just you know reading the book um, in, in a solo setting. Um, but until next time, you guys have a great Friday. Enjoy, and thanks to all listeners. We will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.